0: Today, I'm really excited because we are starting a new sermon series called This Is Us. Now, it has a little bit to do with that TV show because it's one of my personal favorites, but mostly what we want to happen over these next four weeks is we wanna take a look at our relationships, relationships with self, with God, and with others. We wanna be able to look out at the relationships in our life and claim and celebrate who we are, saying, this is us. Knowing that together we can get through all seasons. Today we are starting with the self. Here we are in the 22nd chapter of Matthew, where we see Jesus being tested by two groups of people the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees begin by asking Jesus about taxes and if they should be paid to the emperor. The Sadducees were people who did not believe in the resurrection, and so they were sad, you see, and they were quizzing Jesus on the resurrection. Then we arrive here at this passage where a lawyer among the Pharisees pipes up and asks Jesus about the greatest commandment in the law. Now this lawyer is someone we would have considered maybe a professional theologian, and he is not sincere in his questioning. We see this same story play out in the book of Mark, but in the book of Mark, Jesus and a scribe have a friendly exchange and the scribe ultimately affirms and accepts what Jesus says. Here the question is a test. In fact, the word for test is only used in Matthew to refer to the devil and to the Pharisees. Now the nature of this test is unclear. But the lawyer could have been trying to bring Jesus into an age-old debate. The rabbis had counted 613 commands in the law, 248 positive commands corresponding to the number of the parts of the body, and 365 negative commands corresponding to the days of the year. It's feasible that people would want to know what the greatest among those 613 were. Some believed that all commandments were equal and that ranking them was mere human speculation. But the lawyer could have been trying to make Jesus rank the commandments and somehow discount part of the law. Yet, Jesus' answer is not meant to discount the law. Rather, it is meant to be a sort of hermeneutical key— a lens by which everything in the law and the prophets is interpreted. I heard this explained once like a strainer. The commandments to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is a filter in which everything else is interpreted. And so, if what we are placing in this filter or this strainer slips through the holes, it may not actually be pertinent to how we live out our faith here today. I have found that illustration helpful over my life, but in some ways, we're still left to figure out definitions. What exactly does it mean to love? What does it mean to love God? Who is my neighbor? What does it mean to love myself? Because we don't always have these explicit instructions or definitions, we have to look at the whole of what Scripture teaches us about love and what Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection tell us about love. Now, when it comes to loving our neighbor, the Luke version of this story offers a story of a good Samaritan that follows it. That conclusion has led me to believe that your neighbor is anyone you would allow to save your life, which means most of us would love everyone. What follows that story in Luke is then the story of Mary and Martha, and it is meant to be read with the previous parable. In that story, we see that loving God means positioning ourselves at the feet of Jesus, simply being in his presence, listening to what he has to say to us but still what does it mean to love yourself in some parts of our culture it feels as if the self has been magnified above all others we are a society obsessed with selfies they're not always bad And we're obsessed with portraying a certain sense of self. We can edit what we want to project and what we want people to believe about self. We are people who draw boundaries when we've determined ourselves to be too uncomfortable to go on. We easily elevate ourselves and our thinking, justifying and believing that our feelings and opinions are right. Yet. While some of us are too focused on ourselves, others of us have lost a sense of self. Others of us have let ourselves go. Some of us have conformed too much to the opinion or approval of others. Some of us do not know where we begin and where our work or our kids end in my opinion what we need is to find a way of living into healthy self-love we need to cultivate self-worth instead of self-worship because here in this text jesus does not present a model of only two loves jesus presents a model of three loves a trinity of love a communion of three loves that when connected to one another creates wholeness and harmony and when disconnected from one another breeds poor health and even hate. I think to reach a point of healthy self-love that forms the basis of all our relationships, we have to work to undo things that we have learned about the self and perhaps at some point in life we have to begin looking for ways to preserve the self to remember who we are, to continue growing as a person. I think in the church, we should begin with the notion of self-sacrifice. We have used biblical examples of hospitality as justification for running ourselves into the ground, propelling our busy bodies from one thing to the next, ignoring our need to stop and rest and be human. We are not machines we have in many other ways created a martyr culture in the midst of Christianity it is my cross to bear it is my lot in life first everyone else and then me and I think for a long time we have used the very example of Jesus completely emptying himself out on the cross for us as instruction for how we are to empty ourselves out to others In Philippians chapter two, we are told to have the same mindset as Christ, humbling ourselves, making ourselves obedient, making ourselves nothing, emptying out who we are. Yet what we often forget about that image of that suffering servant is that is Jesus's final act on behalf of humanity. And so it ends up looking this way. For a long time, we have been taught to fill up our cup, to completely empty and pour ourselves out, and that has left us parched and dry. Instead, what we need to look at is what Jesus models for us throughout his entire ministry. He withdraws over and over to be alone with God. He leaves the hustle. He leaves the crowds. He even leaves things undone. And he puts himself in the presence of the one who reminds him of his truest identity, who slows down the noise around him and reminds him that the most important thing, the place where he gets his self-worth, is in being a beloved child of God. And so what we need is maybe a new model, a new way to look at this. Instead of pouring ourselves out, leaving ourselves parched and empty and dry, what we need to do, like Jesus, is position ourselves where God can continually pour into us so that instead of living out of our emptiness, we learn to live out of our overflow. And so to cultivate self-love is to practice self-care. This doesn't mean letting go of our responsibility to other people. It means, like Jesus, to be alone with God where the judgments and the opinions of others who have challenged our identity as children of God can literally be suspended in the air and destroyed by the all-consuming love of God. To love yourself well is to love and spend time with God. I think in another way, we have to combat self-abandonment. Self-abandonment is what happens when we find ourselves falling into old, familiar, unhealthy patterns after we have spent years cultivating a new self. The best example I can think of is when we go home to be with our families or we find ourselves with an old friend group and all of a sudden we are falling back into roles that we used to play. Exhibiting behavior that is no longer congruent with who we have become or who we want to be. Sometimes we do this unconsciously because of the trauma that we share with other people. Other times it is a conscious decision. But this self-abandonment almost always creates a stress within our spirits when we become aware of it. In fact, I was reading a book recently that said one of the most anxiety-producing experiences for individuals is living as some sort of fractured or inauthentic self. We are most stressed in life when our actions do not match who we desire to be. And so part of our work is to take an honest look at the places and the people that push us to abandon ourselves. We have to admit and take ownership where, of the places where we allow our minds and souls and hearts to be segregated. Last week I stumbled upon a writing from my friend Laura Lee. We've been friends since high school and she has now moved to Nashville She uh, worked at Iron Tribe for a while and now is a nutrition coach, and she has expanded that coaching to include connecting mind, body, and soul. She wrote about the very things that we need to let go of, the parts of ourselves that no longer serve us, and she acknowledged how hard that is. There are pieces that are still a part of our story. There are pieces that were once major parts of what once made up our identity. And so letting go is hard. But practically, she said, when I find myself slipping into an old version of myself, it's almost like a higher version of myself comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, this no longer serves who you are or who you want to be. I thought that that was a helpful and needed image for us today. Where in your life is a higher version of yourself tapping you on the shoulder and telling you this no longer serves you? Finally, I think we have to be real about self-sabotage. There are times in which we are the ones who do not allow ourselves to be happy or experience real love. There are higher versions of ourselves. And then there are inner saboteurs, the voice within us that uses our wounds to pound harsh messages into our minds. Everyone's inner saboteur sounds different. You aren't enough. You aren't successful. You aren't man enough. You aren't worthy of love. You're too old. No one wants to spend time with you. When we listen to these messages, we lean towards self-loathing and self-hatred. And so instead, we combat them. Again, that means positioning ourselves before God where the accurate picture of who we are is reflected back to us. And so love is not an if-then statement. If I earn X amount of dollars, then I am successful or worthy of love. If I lose 10 pounds, then I will be happy with myself. Love is not withholding goodness from yourself because you haven't reached some goal or ideal. When we consider the meaning of love in this passage and throughout the corpus of Scripture, love is not conditional or limited. In many places, love is not even sentiment. In most places, love means faithfulness, steadfastness, loyalty. It is covenantal, not cushy. Love abides with us even when our feelings and our flesh fail us. And so to love yourself. It is to be in covenant relationship with yourself. It is to abide and stick with yourself through every season as you grow and change. It is not to, it is to place, not place conditions on yourself. It is to love yourself regardless of the feelings that you have towards yourself. It is to be loyal to who you are and who you are becoming. To practice self-care and to cultivate self-worth. So if in this season you feel like Jesus being tested, try to put that filter on your life and let go of anything that does not allow you to love God, yourself, or others better. And this week, I want you to practice it. I want you to think about what makes you feel most like you What grounds you and makes you feel confident? What fuels your self-love? What reminds you that you are a child of God with an identity with able to withstand criticism and negativity and even a pandemic? What makes you feel like life isn't over for you and there is more to discover about yourself? Go and do that. Find joy in freedom and claiming who you are and who you want to be, knowing that first and foremost, you are defined as being a child of God. Amen.